What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Raise the Apple. We're back with a new week of Mets baseball. A lot has happened, not only in Mets land, but across the rest of Major League Baseball. Starting with the Mets, of course, as always, they were swept by the Cubs. That was definitely a series to forget. Defense, just in general, series to forget. Mets then came back to play the Nationals for the first time this year. The Mets were able to win two out of three. They lost the middle game. They had DeGrom, Stroman, and then Taiwan Walker on Sunday. Stroman, not his best day. Not his best day. He'll be the first to tell you that. I think, my personal opinion, I think he got a little annoyed, for lack of a better word, with the umpire. There were a lot of close, very, very close pitches that probably could have gone, that could have gone either way but did not go in the way of the Mets, and I think Stroman got a little annoyed by that, and uh, it just just wasn't his best day, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm not worried about it. Uh, Tyron Walker had a great bounce back start from his, uh, with, yeah, his outing against the Nationals, a complete 180 from his last start against the Cubs, where he tied a career high with six walks. The Mets were able to get some offense going. And we're able to take two out of three. They still sit in first place, nine and eight on the year, half game up on the Phillies. They now have two games home against the Boston Red Sox, who currently lead the AL East by three games, which is kind of a big surprise to a lot of people. Tonight will be David Peterson against Garrett Richards. David Peterson looking to get a night, get on a hopefully get on a little bit of a roll. And then tomorrow, Jacob Degrom is back in action against, Nick, I believe Nick Pavetta will be starting for Boston tomorrow, who's been very good for Boston this year. <clears throat> a big on Boston side, J.D. Martinez is the guy that I'm looking out for as the guy that can absolutely torment the Mets. But they got to go against the greatest pitcher in baseball tomorrow, tomorrow night and could go down as one of the greatest pitchers to ever pick up a baseball can we just talk about Jacob DeGrom for a minute? Last start, Jacob DeGrom, complete game, two-hit shutout. I still don't know how he allowed two hits. Against the Nationals, he struck out a career-high 15 batters, did not walk a single batter. He makes it look effortless. I tweeted this the other day. I don't know what the only thing that Jacob DeGrom can do to top himself is throw a no-hitter or a perfect game. I, I, every he's gone th- this so his last start he struck out when he hit, hit 14 strikeouts he was the third pitcher in MLB history to have three consecutive starts of 14 or more strikeouts the one before the pr- previous person to do it was Garrett Cole back in 2019 and before that it was Pedro Martinez back in 99 when Pedro Martinez was v- pretty much unhittable Jacob deGrom seems to be on that stretch right now it is their nationals were saying they had a big sigh of relief when I believe it was Starlin Castro had the first hit and then Andrew Stevenson had the other hit for the nationals when Starlin Castro got that first hit there's a big sigh of relief in the nationals dugout they're like Whew, we're not getting no hit tonight that's how good the ground is he could go out there and everybody could be like all right there's a pretty good chance we could get no hit tonight we can't let that happen the the streak he's on right now I saw Jared Carabas, who is the podcaster for or Red Sox guy for Barstool, also does starting nine in section ten. 
He tweeted this thing the other day. Since 2018, Jacob deGrom has an ERA under 2 or something like that. And the Mets are 27-20 and 20 in those games. Which absolutely blows my mind. I don't... I, the other thing I tweeted, there's literally nothing else we could say about Jacob deGrom. He even did it with the bat. He hit the first run of the game, was an RBI double from deGrom. He, he's done everything, except the only thing he hasn't done from a pitching standpoint is throwing a no-hitter or a perfect game. I mean, he's hit a homer, he's got this, he's got that. It's just, how can he top, like, on today's Tuesday, so tomorrow, on Wednesday, against the Red Sox, how can he possibly top himself? You know, it sounds like I'm gushing, and I am. Because I tweeted this the other day, I said, I don't know what else to say about Jacob the Ground. We are, I'm just going to sit back, relax, and enjoy every single time because we are watching, eventually, assuming he could continue this, one of the greatest pitchers to ever pick up a baseball. You know, we have previous generations. You had uh, Nolan Ryan and Pedro. You had Sandy Koufax. And uh, way back, you had Walter Johnson. Jacob DeGrom is a generational pitcher. This is a once-in-a-generation talent. He's throwing, he's 100 pitches deep into a game, and he's throwing 99-100 like it's almost effortless. Uh, Tomas Nito, after the game, said every single spot he put his glove, he hit it. He barely had to move it every single pitch. It was just unbelievable. The first couple innings, it looked like the Mets were going to Mets again and not score for him. But Wow. Jacob DeGrom is just, anybody who still make, tries to make the argument that Garrett Cole is better than Jacob DeGrom, stop. <laughs> just stop. There's no argument anymore. Jacob DeGrom is very much the best pitcher in baseball. You can make the argument he's one of the best players in baseball. He is one of two players to have a 99 rating on MLB The Show, Mike Trout being the other one. But DeGrom is just now, another or another topic, or I don't want to say topic, but a question I want to ask you guys. Assuming Jacob DeGrom can continue this stretch throughout the entire year where he's just dominant every single outing, do you think he deserves some MVP consideration? Now, I believe the last pitcher to win MVP was, if I'm not mistaken, was Clayton Kershaw, I want to say 2013. Someone could probably double-check me on that. I'm pretty sure it was Kershaw in 2013, was the last pitcher to win MVP. And I just double-checked that. 2014, my bad. 2014, Kershaw won MVP. But I definitely think, assuming he could continue this stretch throughout the rest of the year, that DeGrom is certainly worthy of at least being in the conversation of MVP. And other guys that will be in that conversation, at least right now, you got Ronald Acuna Jr., Maybe Corbin Corbin Burns had got a, was a little shaky last night, although he still hasn't walked the batter. Uh, Cunha, Corbin Burns, Juan Soto when he comes back is certainly in that conversation. Uh, Yelich, even and Bellinger, they'll always be in there even though they're hurt right now. Mookie Betts in LA, he'll get going at some point. But I certainly think Degrom is at least in that conversation of an at least early season MVP, definitely. But. Anyone who is still trying to make the argument that Garrett Cole is better than Jacob DeGrom, stop. <laughs> Just stop. Jacob DeGrom 
is the best pitcher in baseball right now, and I'm willing to bet he will. He also passed his career ERA is now under Tom Seaver's career ERA. So if Jacob Degrom retired today, he would have the lowest ERA of a Met pitcher ever. It's two five something. So Tom Seaver's was a two five seven. Jake got down to a two five five. ZRA is .33 or .34 on the year, and it'll and hopefully it continues to go down. He'll have a good Boston lineup tomorrow night to deal with, but he's just he's just something else. This even on Twitter, a lot of the Mets beat writers or baseball fans are just saying there's nothing more you can say about Degrom, and the fact that he still isn't with the Mets, like and he hasn't gotten hacked off with the Mets not scoring for him and not winning games. Incredible. But the next little bit about the Mets, last little bit about the Mets before we take a road around Major League Base or take a little road trip around Major League Baseball is Luis Rojas. And I say Luis Rojas because he has gotten a lot of mixed feelings from Mets fans on Mets Twitter. First of all, Mets Twitter is a I've said it a million times before, it's a great place, but it's also a terrible place. There are a lot of people that are already calling for Luis Rojas to be fired. I don't know why. We're in April, April 27th. The Mets are in first place. Things are going well, with the exception the offense hasn't quite clicked yet, but the pitching has been great. Well, at times. Pitching's been great. Defense has been the Achilles heel of this team. But I don't know why people... See, Luis Rojas, whether he's made decisions that are the right decision or wrong decision in terms of pinch hitting or guys coming out of the bullpen or leaving starters in or taking them out, whatever the case may be. A lot of people have questioned those decisions. I haven't because, you know, he's in that position for a reason. He knows a lot more than we do. We can stand here and criticize him all he wants, but he knows a lot more about what's going on than we do. So there's obviously a reason every single time that he he makes the choices he makes. Sometimes, a manager, not just Luis Rojas, any manager or coach in any sport will make a decision that you're like WTF. I think the best example would be Game 6 of the World Series this past year when Kevin Cash took out Blake Snell when he had a shutout going. He was about to face the batting lineup for the third time around, had a shutout going, and it was like 60 pitches or something like that, and he took him out. Even Blake Snell coming off the mound was like, what? And every fan at home was like, What? So there, it's stuff like that. I mean, that's obvious, but nitty, like if it's playoff time and Diaz has been unhittable, and then he chooses to go with Familia, who's been all over the place, stuff like that. Yeah, I understand, but I mean, it's too early to tell if he's the guy. I I like him. I love Luis Ross. He got ejected for the first time in that Cubs series. Uh, so did Taiwan Walker. But which was justified. There was a little bit of a shake. There were a lot of close pitches that just didn't go the Mets' way. But <clears throat> I don't. I hate in sports, and this isn't just in baseball. This is in all sports. When a team struggles, the manager or the front office staff is always the scapegoat. So take Mickey Calley for example. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know Mickey Callaway is probably a bad example because there were other circumstances, but at the time we were not aware of those other circumstances. Mickey Callaway is relieved. Everyone's calling for Mickey Callaway to get fired in 2019, his last year with the Mets. The Mets were a 
game and a half, two games, from making the playoffs. But people are still calling him to get fired. It shouldn't be Mickey Callaway taking the heat because Pete Alonso strikes out four times a game. Or it shouldn't be Luis Rojas' fault when when uh, Marcus Stroman gives up ten hits and uh, five runs in an inning of work. We need to, if you're going to hold accountability on people, hold it where it should be. So I'm just going to use Stroman as an example. I'm not, this isn't the case, obviously, this is just an example. If Stroman gets shelled, the only person to blame, well, if you're going to blame any, he had a bad, let's say he has a bad day, he gets shelled. The only person that could should be, be held accountable is Stroman. Luis Rojas shouldn't get fired because Marcus Stroman gets shelled every single time he goes out and pitches. Just like in, again, that's not the case. I'm just using it as an example. You look at the NFL. Uh, I'm a Steelers fan, so I'll use the Steelers for example. If Big Ben throws five picks in a game every single game the entire year, that's Big Ben's fault. It's not Mike Tomlin's fault. Mike Tomlin shouldn't be fired because Big Ben's going out there throwing five picks every day. Because, like, I remember during the NFL season, Steelers started 11-0, then they lost their last three game, their, they lost three of their last four or something like that, and everybody was calling for Mike Tomlin to get fired. I was like, where where were you guys? The, the Steelers were 11-0, and and now they lost, and now all of a sudden you're firing Mike Tomlin. I mean, Luis Rojas could lead the Mets to the World Series. They Let's say they lose in the World Series, and people will be calling for Luis Rojas to be fired because he didn't put this guy in at this time or something like that, or he made questionable decisions. I don't think that's fair. In any sport, I don't think it's fair to blame the coaches. Obviously, there's situations where it's justifiable, like the Rockies, the Rockies GM stepped down, uh, greatest GM in Cardinals history, basically gave Arenado and fifty million to the Cardinals for a pack of gum. Obviously, there are instances where the manager or the front office staff is to blame, but I also, but I don't think it's fair to blame them when players underperform, because Luis Rojas can make all the right, he can make all the right decisions, he could push all the right buttons. But if he brings in Edwin Diaz and Edwin Diaz blows up and doesn't get three outs, if he's given up blowing saves left and right, can't get three outs, that's on Edwin Diaz. That's not on Luis Rojas. Luis Rojas doesn't go out there and throw. He just says, you come in. If Diaz comes in and he gets lit up, that's on Diaz. That's not on Luis Rojas. And again, that goes with all sports. That's just my little thing on it. I don't think it's fair that coaches tend to be the scapegoat. Obviously, sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's justifiable. But I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think that's should be the case with Luis Ross. It's way too soon to tell if, if he's the guy or not. Way, way too soon. But that's pretty much everything going on in Metland. We are going to transition now and take a little road trip around the rest of Major League Baseball. First of which, the Dodgers Padres series felt like a playoff. October series in April. It was so much fun to watch. I watched. Uh, I couldn't watch the first game and the last game because I had other stuff going on. But I watched uh, Saturday night where it was Bauer against Blake Snell, and I Tatis homered and he did the. So Bauer during spring training was playing around with pitching with one eye. Tatis homers and then he covers his eye when he's rounding the bases. Uh, you had him. What else did he do? He did something else, 
And then Trevor Bauer also with the strikeout, he did the sword thing. And then Eric Hosmer got a base hit, did the sword thing, and Bauer was laughing. It was such a great, great series. I wish I could have watched Sunday's Sunday night's game, but I had other plans going on because I was watching the highlights from it, and I was like, wow, that, that was pretty freaking awesome. It was a great, great series. And it's going to be a great series throughout the whole year. I hope it works out that they can play each other in the playoffs. I mean, the Giants are red hot right now. The Giants are tied with the Dodgers for first place in the NL West. I didn't think that any team would be at a tie or ahead of the Dodgers at any point. But right now, the Giants are tied with the Dodgers for first in the West. But I hope it works out. We could see that series in October because that is going to be amazing. But speaking of Bauer and Tatis with that eye covering thing and then Hosmer with the sword, it was great because when it happened, Twitter blew up. And everybody was expecting Bauer to be super ticked off by it and throw a temper tantrum on Twitter and all that stuff. And then in the press conference after, Bauer's like, I loved it. He thought it was great for baseball. You know, he said, he said Hos- him and Hosmer exchanged tweets back and forth. He thought it was hilarious that Hosmer did this putting the sword away. And he was trying very hard not to start laughing when he was on the mound. Stuff like that in baseball, there needs to be a little more flair. Not too much. There's obviously time and a place, but I love that flair. You know, for me, if I were a pitcher, bat flip me, bat flip off me all you want. Go for it. But if I strike you out and you're next at bat and I pound my glove or scream or do something, you can't be mad. Or vice versa. If I strike you out and I'm pumping my fist or getting all pumped up and then you're next at bat, you hit a homer off me, Pimp it. Give it back. I'm all for it. I thought that, especially in that Padres, Padres, Padres Dodgers series, it was great, great entertainment for it. It was so much fun to watch. Next little bit is Madison Bumgarner. This is also a trivia question for you guys. Along with should DeGrom be MVP consideration, assuming he continues this through the whole year, Mad Bum, his last start for Arizona, it was a doubleheader game. He pitched either the first or second game of the doubleheader. I think it was the first game. No hitter. However, but because it was a seven-inning game and not a full nine-inning game, it doesn't count as a no-hitter in the record books. So MLB's new rules, we all know, doubleheaders are seven innings. Instead of two nine-inning games, it's two seven-inning games to make games go faster, which... I can deal with, I could suck it up for that as long as we could get rid of this stupid extra innings runner on second rule, I th- which I think is the stupidest thing ever. But Mad Bum in the first game throws the complete game, no hitter. But because it was a seven inning game, not a nine inning game, it's not classified in the history books as a no hitter. So my question to you guys is should that count in the record books as a no hitter? I'm... I don't know, because I honestly don't, I feel like it should, but we don't know if, if it were a nine inning game, we don't know if he would have finished it, but I don't know, like, I'm, I'm genuinely asking you guys, because I don't know, I feel like it should count, but there's also a small part of me that says, like, nah, it shouldn't count, so I don't really know, because do, I don't know if this is true or not, do, if you throw a seven inning game if complete does that count as a complete game in the record books 
Like, does Mad Bum's final line say seven innings pitched, no hits, no runs? Or does it say complete game, no hits, no runs? Is it seven innings, shutout, seven shutout innings, or a complete game shutout? Because if it's labeled as a complete game, then it should ca- the no-hitter should count. It should count in history as a no-hitter if it's labeled a complete game shutout. I don't know. That was... That was a... That was actually... It threw me for a loop a lot more than I was expecting it to because I was like, I feel like that should count. But for some reason, there's a very, very small part of me that's like, does it? Like, I think I feel like it should, but what do you guys think? You know, I want to hear what you guys think. And then the last little bit today before we do our This Day in Baseball History. The Yankees stink. <laughs> per a special request for one of my friends, he texted me, asked me if I could talk a little bit about the Yankees. The Yankees stink right now. It is... They are 9-13 on the year. They are in last place. They are a game back of the Orioles for last place. They are 4.5 back of Boston for first place. They're 4-6 and six in their last 10, have lost 2 in a row, and have a run differential of minus 10. The Yankees stink. <laughs> now, I'm going to put my Mets bias aside and try and talk a little bit about the Yankees and what their issues are. I don't really know. I have to be honest. I haven't watched a lot of the Yankees this year. I've only seen highlights, but I don't know what's going on with the Yankees. Their starting rotation, I don't want to say is a mess, but there's a lot of question marks on it. So let's look at their offense to start. Their off or let's start with Aaron Boone. People are calling for Aaron Boone to get fired, which I don't think it's fair. Aaron Boone has been great as the Yankees manager. I don't think he, they're in a position right now where they should be questioning if Aaron Boone is the guy. He's led him to the playoffs every year he's been there. I don't think Aaron Boone's the issue. I think it's just they're not clicking yet. This Yankees team was one of the favorites to win the American League for a reason. I think they're going to get it together at some point. It's just a very slow start out of the gate. At one point last week, they had the worst record in the American League. Now they don't, but they are one of the worst records in the American League. Fourth? My math's right? Yep. Fourth worst record in the American League right now. The only teams worse than them are the Twins, Tigers, and Rangers. Offensively, I don't know. I mean, Judge and I mean Stanton's made of his entire body's apparently is like made of freaking paper or something. He's got something different going on every day, it seems. Judge has also been on and off the injured list, but apparently there was uh, talks over the summer of Aaron Judge being traded to the Angels. I'm interested to see how that would have turned out. But Glaber Torres, mm, Javi Baez did it the other day, and I talked about it. Glaber Torres hit a little dinker in front of the plate, and nine, ten times out of ten, when a guy hits a little chopper in front of the plate like that, you see him busting out of the box, trying to force a bad throw or trying to beat it out or whatever. And there's Glaber Torres jogging his way over to first, which that bugs me. You should be hustling. Even if you know you're out, you should still be hustling. And a lot of Yankees fans were upset at that, and rightfully so. And then he was out. And I'm not saying he would have beaten it out necessarily, but it's the, the principle of it, you should be hustling. And then they're, they're starting rotation outside of Garrett Cole. Luis Severino comes back in June, I think. 
May, June, around the time Noah Syndergaard's supposed to also come back from Tommy John. Outside, behind Garrett Cole, you got Kluber, you got Jamison Tyone, you got uh, Jordan Montgomery, Debbie Garcia started last night, I believe. There's a lot of question marks there. You're relying on huge bounce back years from Kluber and Tyone. You're relying on Montgomery and Debbie Garcia and Domingo Herman to step up. Domingo Herman, we know his deal with off the field issues. You're asking for him to put, get that out of the way and try and pitch well. Garrett Cole's the only, you know what you're getting every single night with Garrett Cole. Everyone else in the rotation is just a huge question mark. And if you look down to 162-game season, you only know just about 100% of the time what you're getting every fifth day. The other four days, you don't necessarily know what you're getting. When Severino comes back, that'll be a huge boost to their rotation. I think Sevi and Garrett Kohler will be a nasty one-two punch, assuming Severino does what we know he's capable of doing. But I just they're I don't want to say they're putting too much on Garrett Cole, but the starting rotation is the big, big question mark. Their bullpen's good, or it has the capability of being really good. But that starting rotation, it was their starting rotation going into the offseason. Going into the offseason, there were two things the Yankees needed to do, and they were the only things they needed to do. Was re-sign DJ LeMahieu, which for some reason took forever to do, even though that was the one the big thing you had to do and then try and fix up that starting rotation Paxton went back to Seattle Jay Happ went to Minnesota you missed out on Bauer all this the the rotation they had Kluber through one side session or one showcase whatever it's called for teams Yankees signed him Jameson Tyon they made trade for I think was a good trade then the rest of the rotation, you're waiting on Severino to come back late May, early June. And then now you're now the rest of your rotation, Domingo Armand's coming back from a domestic incident. You don't know what that's how he's going to be received by his teammates, let alone how he's going to pitch on the mound. You're Debbie Garcia, who's a young up-and-coming guy, who's shown promise at times. Jordan Montgomery, who's been a little inconsistent. A lot of question marks in that starting rotation, and in a game where starting pitching is becoming so much more and more valuable and is one of the biggest things in baseball is having a good starting rotation, the Yankees just don't have one. Their starting rotation, if they all perform, is middle of the pack if they all perform the way they're supposed to. You know, outside of Garrett Cole and Seve, when he comes back, you're having a lot of question marks every single time. You don't know if what's – it's kind of a toss-up. Are you going to get a great outing, or are you going gonna to get the clue bot, or is he going to get shelled? You don't really know. You're not really positive what's going on. So find the Yankees. Right now, Yankees fans, calm down. It's April. If the Yankees are still in the bottom in June or July – then yeah, there's probably cause for concern. But this team, especially offensively, is way too good to stay in last place for the whole year. They're way too good offense. By the way, Gary Sanchez needs to be the backup catcher. Kyle Higashioka, I think, needs to be starting every day. But that's just a side note. 
but offense or Gary Sanchez should be the DH. But the Yankees, like Yankees, right now are having Aaron Hicks batting third some nights. Why? Like I know Luke Voigt's still coming back, but still got to come back. You have him. You got Judge Stanton, Glaber, DJ LeMahieu, Gio Urshela, Gary Sanchez, even Talkman. You got they got great bats. It's just that starting rotation. Yankees fans, don't freak out. It's still way too early. The starting rotation, yes, is a question mark, but if you can stay competitive, stay in it until the trade deadline, trade deadline, go out there, try and get the teams that are out of it, go try and get someone. You know, Let's say the Cubs are out of it. Go to the Cubs and try and get Kyle Hendricks over there. Or if the Reds, no, don't do Reds. I was going to say Sonny Gray, but I was like, no, no, no. We know how that went the first time. If the Reds are out of it, go try and get Luis Castillo. Go get that big starter. The Yankees have talent to give to get a top starter. So find the Yankees, or find Yankees fans, I should say. Stick around. It's okay. You know, the Twins are off to a slow start, too. The Braves are off to a slow start. A lot of good teams are off to slow starts. It's way too early to start freaking out. The Yankees, again, if they're in this position still, then in a couple months from now, then maybe there's cause for concern. But right now, I'm not worried. I am worried about the rotation, but if they could stay in it until the trade deadline, they don't even have to wait till the trade deadline. But if they're still in it, go out there and make a big splash. Go get someone out. Go get a big name in that rotation that will love pitching in New York. It's the only way that they're they're gonna get get stuff done. But that's pretty much going to wrap it up for today. We do have now and not bleh, start over. Now it's time for today in Major League Baseball history. In 1971, Hank Aaron joined Babe Ruth and Willie Mays as the only three major leaguers in the 600 career home run club now there are nine guys in the 600 career home run club one of them is active that is Albert Pujols Uh, Barry Bonds this is in order Barry Bonds Hank Aaron Babe Ruth A-Rod Pujols Willie Mays Ken Griffey Jr. Jim Tomey and Sammy Sosa are the only guys in the 600 home run club in Major League Baseball history Ruth, Aaron, and Bonds are the only guys in the 700 home run club his 700 home run club in Major League history. A Rod was just four homers shy. There's actually in the top 50 all-time home run list. There's only two players on it that are still active. That is uh, Pujols, like I mentioned, at fifth right now, and Miggy. Miggy is 30th right now with 488. And Nelson Cruz is knocking on the door. He's fifty tied for 52nd with 424. He needs to get up to 427 to tie, 428 to pass Mike Piazza for 50th on the all-time home run list. So that is a cool little thing. If you look, looking at this home run list, there are not many uh, current players. After Nelson Cruz, well, Edwin Encarnacion's tied with Nelson Cruz right now. But after Nelson Cruz, there's no other active players until 108, which is Robinson Cano. And then you get Stanton, Upton, Longoria, Trout, all those guys. But that was kind of that's kind of incredible that in the top 100 all-time home run list, only three guys in there. Three and a half. 
with Encarnacion are active players. That's just, that's crazy. Crazy, crazy. That's going to wrap it up for today's episode of Raise the Apple. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe down below. You know what to do because hopefully you're already doing it. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at RTA underscore pod. You know the drill. And we will be back on Thursday with a new episode. Hopefully the Mets can get a quick little two-game sweep of the Red Sox, or at least, at the very minimum, split. Uh, And we'll see on Thursday. We'll talk about it on Thursday if Jacob DeGrom can possibly top himself. I don't know how he can, but we'll see. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode of Raise the Apple. We hope you enjoyed it. And let's go Mets.